to address the issues facing Tennesseans today. From 10 News, this is Inside Tennessee. Good morning and welcome to Inside Tennessee. I'm your moderator, John North. Most of the time when you tune into this show, we're talking about politics. But there's one week out of the year when we give it a rest. We take time instead to recognize three homegrown charities helping to make a difference here in Appalachia filling a vital need in helping our neighbors. They embody the volunteer spirit and have touched the lives of thousands and thousands of people across East Tennessee. We begin with Mission of Hope and its executive director, Emmett Thompson. Brother Emmett, good morning, welcome. Good morning, John, thanks we, for the opportunity. We, uh, we appreciate you being here. We always look forward to this annual show that we do. Uh, we were talking a little bit uh, before we got started and uh, uh, it's been a great year in terms of the economy, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's been a great year for many of the people in Appalachia. John, that's well-versed. You know, there's a part of me that when we talk about um, things and how they're going, and, and we have been blessed in big cities, and there's been a lot of good economic news, and in rural America, rural Appalachia in particular, where we serve, we still have a, a very serious challenge of the greatest income provider has is, is kind of disappeared. That was. Uh, coal mining industry and we stay out of politics at Mission of Hope so right wrong or indifferent that was a very great job and income provider so when you when that declined and, and, and went away it, it also added a domino effect of other things that were affected by that discretionary money for whatever uh, the beauty parlor the, the barber shop the restaurant the you know casual trip to whatever uh, retail store so because of logistics and the fact that so many rural places will not be near interstate highways, that's where we hang our hat. That's our mission field. And, and there's still a real challenge there for job creation. Uh, full disclosure, just so folks know, uh, this station has uh, had a very close relationship with this particular project for many years, more than 20 years. It started, in fact, from a uh, story, I think, that Bill Williams had done, which inspired it. That's so true, and I appreciate your efforts in that. I never want to miss an opportunity to acknowledge Bill and his passion for telling about these areas because it was really what led him to do the stories that in turn birthed the interest in, in what's turned out to be a, a blooming, blossoming tree of uh, ministry in a lot of different ways that's happened over these past 23 years. So Emmett, if you could just remind the folks at home if, if uh, they don't know, what are some of the things specifically that you all are doing that we try to help out our neighbors? You know, I try to do for time's sake a Cliff Notes kind of example. We minister like a tree in how we serve. We work through the two routes of how we get there. Schools, using the free lunch percentage as the criteria, and about every school we've got is anywhere from 80, 85, some even 100% on Absolutely. free and reduced lunch. That That's a good indicator that we need to go there but the other way we help all through the year are what we call mountain ministry centers in a lot of rural areas john there's typically an individual or couple many many cases they're retired but they're the people that were burdened to help the local poor so they begged for the empty storefront building to start the food pantry clothing closet furniture ministry and immediately hit a wall there's no large churches there there are no industrial giants there so the branches of how we help are day-to-day -day resources, whatever we get that we take to them to give out. Back to school and Christmas programs, health care, we have been blessed to work with um, RAM and, and we so mourn the loss of Stan. Um, over the years we've worked with others as well. Construction for us is not building houses but minor repairs and handicap ramps. And our scholarship program, which this station 
has been gracious to let us come and talk about and share what we're doing to try to break the cycle of poverty through education and let students who dare to dream get their degree. And we are a ministry, and that would be the seventh branch, what we do in outreach. Well, you, you mentioned the scholarship program. Of course, there are many things that you do, but that one is especially uh, special because it is. you look to train a young people so that they can go on better themselves and then sort of spread the seed. We do. We intentionally target uh, in the towns where we serve the elementary schools at the high schools, we target the kids that wouldn't get a scholarship. We try to go after the B2C kid because we've learned that most of their dreams die when they walk across the high school stage getting their diploma. And we believe those kids ought to have ample opportunity. So we work with them, we give a mentor assignment to them, we give them a laptop, a printer, uh, and we do all that with uh, generous donations from individuals, from grants, from civic groups, churches that help us. But we believe scholarship, John, is the one vehicle we're driving that can break the cycle one student one family at a time. Uh, Emmett, talk a little bit about some of the specific things that you all need right now that you can use help with. Well, our Christmas collection, the Blue Barrel Drive, as so many people identify with us, it's the signature of the end of the year for us. We've got barrels out now at close to probably 450 locations around East Tennessee and even some parts near Lexington, nowhere as big of areas here. But we, we always target new toys, new clothing, non-perishable food and hygiene. You can learn everything about our needs, how to give at our website, missionofhope.org. But we do that through December 4th. And I think you all tweeted something just a couple days ago that said specifically we're looking for like coats for children. You know, we are, John. I learned this years ago when I started doing this, and I just finished up my 19th year as the first full-time employee for Mission of Hope. Thank you. When it's a late fall and it stays warm, you're not in a coat-buying mood. We, we haven't had that, have we? we? You just don't even think about it for yourself. So people who do coat drives, uh, like ourselves and Carm and others, that they, they can probably attest, you know, we're, we're short. But we're looking for Brother Todd Howell to call for cold weather. It come in, and it's coat shopping time. It sort of feels like we had this last year, same kind of thing. Yeah, it's I just think we did. No fall, really, and here we are with winter. Yeah. Um, the uh, Blue Barrels Drive's going on through a little bit more of December, I think. Through December 4th, you know, we, we, we are going to 28 schools. That's a big shopping list. That's a lot. And we have to start a little earlier than most people who do assistance at Christmas because we do it at the school. But it is an incredible moment for us to go love on these children, um, encourage them, uplift them, give them attention, and fulfill hope in a real special way. And um, we're grateful for all those that help us do it. And your website, Mission of Hope? Missionofhope.org. Very good. All right, Emmett, we as always appreciate having you come every uh, November thereabouts to speak to us and tell us what you all are working on, and we hope you have a terrific holiday. Thank you, my friend. It's a privilege. We are going to take a break right now, and then we will be back, and we'll be talking with Elaine Streno. Good morning and welcome back. Uh, we are now shifting focus to talk with Elaine Streno of the Second Harvest Food Bank. Uh, Elaine, you said something that has always stuck with me that I've never forgotten, and that is anybody at any time could find themselves in a sudden uh, spot where they need something. Mm -hmm. None of us are impermeable to it. No, not, all of us could fall into that, it, lose your jobs. You know, it's just. When the recession hit in 2007, it was absolutely unbelievable how many people used to give to Second Harvest that showed up at our warehouse. It was really overwhelming. 
I think that's kind of when I became aware first of what you all were doing because we started doing stories about the lines of people showing up to get food. And I, I, I mean, I've been a journalist a long time, but I still sort of felt naive that I hadn't understood this. I totally understand that. Um, many people feel that way. We uh, struggle with trying to tell the story of what's going on next door. Um, the economy is so strong right now, it's even difficult for people to understand that it's happening all over the place. In our 18 county service area, John, there are 200,000 that live at or below the poverty level, and we are serving many people, but we're not serving all of them. Uh, the 18 counties, give us an area from where to where. Sure, Scott County, North, um, Northeast, Hamblin, North, um, Southeast, I'm going to mess up my That's geography. Okay. It doesn't right. matter. Hamblin County, um, Jefferson County, that area all around. Cumberland County West. That's a big, broad That's, area. Yeah, especially to go uh, to the plateau. That's big pretty time. far west. Do you ever think about spreading it, or is that pretty much defined as to where That's, you all are going to be? So we're part of Feeding America National Network of Food Banks, five in the state of Tennessee, and they really have designated our service area. Um, we have eight different feeding programs now, which astonishes me. But we are making a difference, and it's due to the community support that we are. So we're grateful for that. Talk a little bit about some of the programs that you all do have. Uh, you, you have a number of them, as you said, the ways that they touch various people. Well, we look at counties, and we, we try to figure out what program's going to work best for the rural counties, for the urban county, you know. So right now, our biggest, newest program is called a school pantry, where there's not, it's kind of like Emmett alluded to, where there's an area where there's not a church, not a support group, there's always a school. So the school becomes a pantry. This is separate from our Food for Kids weekend feeding program. This is a school opening up in the evening and distributing food to the families. We have three right now, and we're focusing on more. So we're, we're th thrilled and excited we can do this, but the need is great. Where are those schools located? One is Grassy Fork in Cock County. One is Jefferson and Jefferson County, and one is in Bryceville, Anderson County. Um, those pockets of hard to get to areas. And um, there's 150 families that we're feeding just out of that pantry alone. Are you feeding those people to your satisfaction or is there still a need that's not met? I don't think it's not, it, it's definitely not to my satisfaction. Our mobile pantries have become so popular and I think you guys have been out to even do some footage on it. Um, the line is enormous. There's 200 people behind a truck waiting for the food to get to them. And we all eat three meals a day. Sure. We just and take it for granted. Exactly. And so how long does that food last, those guys? Um, it's a, we have three mobile pantries this weekend, you know, and it's Thanksgiving weekend. So it's crazy. Where all do they go, at, the, the mobile pantries? I mean, is it, is it constantly every week? Everywhere. Honestly, everywhere. Campbell County, Claiborne County. Um, Anderson County. Uh, we partner with schools, we partner with churches, we partner with um, just anything that's a community-oriented organization. And there's about 500 partners that we are providing food to um, through our distribution, logistics, 20 trucks, um, that kind of transportation. I want to stop here a minute and let's just take the opportunity to specifically tell folks how they can help Second Harvest. Sure. So our website secondharvestetn.org. We have eight different feeding programs and we serve 18 counties. And the website tells a story. We have our biggest 
biggest fundraiser, December 10th, and it's Double Your Donation Day. And we've raised funds all year for it to be matched on that day. So if you don't have, as, as we've shared, $1 provides three meals, shared before, $1 provides three meals. So if you don't have $100, you could give us $5 and you're going to provide 15 meals. And if you want to wait, that could be matched and you would provide 30 meals on Monday, December 10th. Do you have any particular goal in mind for that? We have a goal. Um, we've raised a substantial amount of money, sure. up to 300000 right now. Um, so, of course, the goal would be to raise 600000 total. I don't know that we could make that. That is a lofty, lofty goal for those of us in fundraising. Um, but I sure hope we provide uh, more meals than we did this time last year. You're always thinking ahead. You're always sort of thinking, what else could I do? What else would I like to do? Uh, have you got any sort of projects that you're kicking around or that you're planning on launching anytime soon? Well, um, we, we struggle with, um, we, we, there's hunger, and then there's the cause of hunger. Right. And we struggle with how do we get to the cause of hunger. Um, that's why I love Mission of Hope so much with the scholarship program. But um, no, we have eight different feeding programs. We're trying to do those very well. And my challenge is not to become impatient with why they're hungry. Um, the addiction issue in East Tennessee has quadrupled what we used to do. Um, just so many families, doesn't matter what socioeconomic um, climate they live in, it's hurting people. And we're just trying to focus on the food. It is hurting people dramatically. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's altering families completely. Totally, yes. Yeah. Uh, so, as we approach December, what sorts of things are you hoping for? What would be on your wish list? For my wish list? Well, shoot, I'd love to have double your donation day be yeah, a $600,000 uh, success. Um, we, this is a huge time for all of us here, fundraising-wise, and most gifts are given. We're um, curious about the tax law. Is that going to affect us? So, um, my wish list is that we all raise at least as much money as we did this time last year. Lane Strano, we sincerely hope you'll be able to do that. Thank you. And we'll look forward to seeing you probably sometime in 2019 <laughs> and certainly a year from now. Great. Uh, we're going to take a break right now. We will be back and we'll be talking with Jeff Eastman from Remote Area Medical. Good morning. We are back. You're watching Inside Tennessee. We're going to take this chance to talk to Jeff Eastman. He's the CEO with Remote Area Medical. And Jeff, let's just go ahead and address uh, a point uh, straight off the bat, and that is that in August, you all and we lost Stan Brock, who was the founder of RAM. Well, first of all, thank you for having me here this morning. Certainly. Yeah, it was, it was a great loss for our organization, a great loss to the world. Profound. Yeah, yeah Stan uh, started Remote Area Medical 33 years ago. Its history goes back down to Guyana. Uh, he was always a visionary. You know, 33 years ago, he wanted to bring free health care to those in need. From That's kind of radical. To, yeah, it was very radical, you know, and he was very successful at it. Uh, five years ago, he, he set us up for success with the, the, the way we have the structure now. With uh, myself, who we personally selected as chief executive officer. I've got a great team of chief operations, finance, and development. Got a wonderful board of, of 12 people who have been there for decades since Ram started. And he set us up for success. And in this last six years, we've gone from 12 operations a year in 2012 to over 70 operations last year. Uh, Mr. Brock knew uh, where he wanted the organization to go, and he tasked us with growing it 
to serve as many people as possible. He uh, lived to be 82, and being the smart man that he was, he realized he wasn't immortal, and basically you're saying he sort of set things up for the future. He absolutely did. I wanted to show, this is uh, your current magazine, which you were telling me has just come out, mm -hmm. and it's pretty much devoted to Stan. Yeah, it certainly is. You can go to our website, ramusa.org, and you can actually pull down a digital copy about us, and you can print off the copy and That's read great. it, and learn about Stan and, and the huge impact he's made on everyone's lives. Well, you all are always busy. You always have stuff that you're doing. Can you talk a little bit about what you're going to be doing uh, this month through the rest of the year? This month is our Catch Our Breath Month. Uh, we've got a clinic getting ready for, in Haiti, for Haiti. We've got a clinic down in Texas. Now, do you do Haiti every year, or has this just come up this year? No, twice a year now we've been going okay. down there. We've actually been stationing uh, equipment down there and been able to take care of uh, some people down there twice a year. Of course, we did disaster response back when the Hurricane Matthew came through on that, so that's been a big thing. Uh, one of our biggest projects is getting ready for the clinic here in Knoxville, just a few blocks from where we are today. Uh, that'll be the very first weekend in February, uh, starting on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. It's amazing the need here in East Tennessee. For example, last year at our Knoxville clinic, we saw over 2,100 patients from here in East Tennessee. A lot of them travel from outside the area, but from East Tennessee, and we provided over $1.1 million worth of care just a few blocks from here. It's amazing. Uh, does that include dental as well? Yes, yeah, dental, free dental, free dental, vision, in medical, 65% of what we do is dental, about 30% is vision, only 5% medical. And, and people often wonder, where do our patients come from? Uh, a, a third of our patients are employed full or part-time, a third of them are unemployed, but when you ask those patients those questions, half of those people that are unemployed are looking for work. The rest of our patients are either uh, disabled, retired, and, and one that pains me the most is 5% are veterans, no matter where we are whether it's here in East Tennessee, Florida, California, it's, it's always 5% veterans. Do you see repeat patients? Do you, do you see folks who are coming back again and again? Absolutely. Um, we have clinics, uh, one of my favorite patients is a young lady who works here at a convenience store, a little restaurant part of it, and I happened to have a RAM t-shirt on one day, and she said, hey, I got my glasses at RAM. And I was back in, I go there every couple of months, and she had been in, I said, oh, you got new glasses? She goes, yes. I, I broke my other ones, but I, I went to your clinic and I've got new ones when I was up in Clinton. So we are, we are people's health care. You know, uh, most of our clinics we set up on Friday afternoon, so it's Saturday and Sunday. People start lining up about midnight, saying they don't take time off from work, but we're there to take care of them. Now, I want to stop and make sure that everybody knows how they can help RAM. So could you please just let them know right now, what's the best way? The best way is to go to ramusa.org. We need two things, volunteers. And money. Okay. You can click on the donate button to donate and make a difference or volunteer. You don't have to be a professional. General volunteers, I start out as a hall monitor then learn how to run the vision lab. You can go in, create your profile and then uh, come to our next clinic and sign up. We'd love to have you volunteer with us. I assume you probably have a lot of folks who get into it and say, I'm just going to keep doing this. Absolutely. We've got, it's called, they're called core volunteers. And they have been with us for many years. We've gotten great, great people starting now as core volunteers. And uh, once they find out that all they have to do is show up, that we bring all the hardware, we bring all the supplies, all the consumables, uh, they say, this is for me. To, I've always thought it was the best volunteer experience out there. I just have to come show up and, and make a difference. Us at headquarters, we provide everything to make it easy. 
Now, you were telling me that, uh, of course, it started out small all mm -hmm. those years ago, but Stan liked to think big, and I assume you all are still thinking big. You bet. Uh, you know, we can do four clinics at a time. In fact, just two weekends ago, we had a clinic in Virginia. We had a clinic in up in Tri-Cities area, and we also had a clinic in California. Plus, we have veterinary clinic was going on the time. In fact, last year, uh, in 2018 so far, we've done over 30, 302 spay and neuters for a value of $82,000, which 302 spay and neuters, that will reduce in one year 1,500 unwanted puppies. So it makes a huge difference. Here in Knoxville, we'll be doing the same program. We partner with Young Williams. They're a great partner. They are. Uh, so as we get to the clinic, if patients at our clinic can actually come and help get a voucher to uh, have free spay and neuters. And then you also, I suppose, plan, at least in the back of your minds, for the unpredictable, the disasters, <coughs> because you all do respond to disasters. Yeah, absolutely. Ron Brewer is a long, long time volunteer. We do disaster response. Uh, we've actually had team going out down to Florida for a hurricane hit there. We sent supplies down there. And we also got a team of going out, Paul Mariska, on the ground helping people. And Jeff, we appreciate you being on here as always. We know we will see you throughout 2019, and we hope you have a great year. Great. Thank you so much for the invitation. Thank you, sir. We will be back in just a minute with a tribute to a very special person. Welcome back. As uh, we told you a little bit before the break uh, earlier in this show, Stan Brock died in August at age 82. He was an amazing human being. He founded Remote Area Medical. He was its greatest champion, and, and he was somebody who gained attention not only across the national stage but the international stage. We saw him often here at Channel 10 and you probably saw him out and about in the world. He had an amazing contribution that he made um, to East Tennessee and to the world. We have a small tribute that we wanted you to take a look at and let's show it to you right now. There's no such thing as a routine flight. Stan Brock's long and interesting life truly took him around the world. And as a child living on the south coast of England, Brock was a witness to history on D-Day. So there I was, this elementary school boy, and I remember watching these American boys and those British boys. I mean, the air was just filled with airplanes. And so many of those guys didn't make it. The reason why we're here and enjoying our freedoms is because of the boys that flew in airplanes like this. Brock always cherished life be it the animals of the wild as a television star on Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom or a pilot navigating the skies over South America. Where I used to live down in the Amazon, we were 25 days march from the nearest town. And so if you didn't have an airplane, uh, you weren't going to get any medical care. All these worlds converged on East Tennessee in the early 1990s when Stan Brock made this his home. He assembled a crew, complete with a C-47 that flew during D-Day and started a lifetime of missions to provide free medical help to the world's remote areas. Our goal really is to just to be able to treat as many people uh, that need help in as many remote and rural areas. The missions abroad became missions to help people at home, suffering in poverty with basic dental and vision problems. Here in the United States, why do people have to endure this kind of discomfort to get the essential uh, health care that they need because they simply can't afford uh, to go to the doctor. Remote Area Medical has no paid employees. All of these people are totally unpaid and just do this because they feel that it's something that uh, is well worthwhile. Stan Brock's long and interesting life made a lasting impact. 
He made the lives of others better. And those who met him were a witness to history. We can all load our supplies, load our doctors to get out there and do the job. In Knoxville, Jim Matheny, WBIR 10 News.